Turn your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Mark once again. The Gospel of Mark as we're working our way through this Gospel, this uh, that we find of Mark here that's working our way through the life, leading us up to the death, burial, and the resurrection. We come upon Easter in just a few weeks, and so we'll uh, keep working our way as we're looking at the life of Christ, and now he is just literally hours from the cross. And so we'll consider a passage this evening, I think is very, this morning rather, it's very uh, needful to consider. Uh, and also we will continue just a bit of what we begin this morning with this evening. This evening we'll partake of the Lord's table. And we'll look at that in the passage this morning. But this evening I'd like for us to partake of the Lord's table. I want to encourage you tonight to be in church. Uh, if you're not traveling, if you're, if you're in any way possible to be in church. The, God has given us two ordinances. He's given every Christian local church two ordinances. That of baptism that Lord's table. And so oftentimes I think that we've lost the emphasis, we've lost the, the significance of these two ordinances and we just go about them as okay, someone was baptized today and it really is just we lose the importance of it and we come to the Lord's table and say okay, we're partaking of the Lord's table. I really don't need to be there. It's just a ho-hum kind of affair. Let me ask that that not be the case at all in your thinking. If you could be here tonight, if any possibility to be in church tonight, I encourage you to be here. The Bible tells us that we are to do these things, these are ordinances, and we as Christians, you as a Christian, if you're a born-again Christian, you are told, commanded of the Lord to do them. So to not participate, uh, first of all, baptism is that first step of obedience after salvation. We know very assuredly from the scriptures that Baptism does not save us, but it's a picture of what's already transpired in our heart. Buried in his likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. It's a picture to the world what's already taken place in our lives and our hearts. It's a proclamation, if you will, of what Christ has done. That of the first order of obedience after salvation. If you are saved this morning, but you've never been scripturally baptized by way of immersion, not sprinkling, but by way of immersion, that's Baptist Bible doctrinal truth this morning. I should put it the other way. It's Bible first, Baptist second, and, and by immersion, that's the way it should be. So I encourage you this morning, you need to be baptized. And if you are saved and baptized this morning, then the participation of the Lord's table is imperative for you. So tonight we will participate in that regard, and I encourage you to be here. Be a wonderful, always is a wonderful time to gather around the meal of the Lord's table. How many like to gather around a meal? All of us do. And I know some of you may be already thinking, well, he's got just a few moments, 12 o'clock. Who set this time frame of 12 o'clock lunch anyhow? Uh, but he better be done. He's got to be done. I have one just very kind deacon, ex-deacon. I like to say it that ex-deacon who tells me that uh, the roast is on at the house and it burnt when he got home. So I, that's not my fault. That's his fault. He shouldn't have put it on so early. So uh, I trust to get you out on time this morning. But to gather around the meal, there's fellowship that's involved around all that. And that's the participation of coming around the Lord's table to fellowship together. And that's what we'll look at in the scriptures this morning. Look with me at Mark chapter number 14. 
Begin reading in verse number 16, if you would please. Mark 14, verse number 16. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them. And they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And he began to be sorrowful, and they began to be sorrowful, and to say unto him, One by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is the one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed, break it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will... Drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And Mark's, Matthew rather's account says when I drink it with you in the kingdom. There's a promise there and we'll look at that maybe not this morning but certainly this evening. This morning we come to a portion of scripture as we read this text in Mark's gospel uh, that we see the Lord observing the Passover meal. Of course, Jesus had many meals. All of us could say that. I I don't know that any of us have missed many meals. I I know that I'm in that category. The Lord had many meals with his disciples over those three and a half years as he walked upon this earth. And one of the most memorable meals would have been, as we think about the meals of Christ, one of the most memorable meals would have been the feeding of the 5,000. Remember that one? Wonderful picture of God's power and provision during that particular time. The feeding of 5,000 plus, many, many more would have been beyond that. He, He did that with a mere five barley loaves and two small fishes. Um, sometimes when you go out to these restaurants today, they put all the, you know, be these big plates and they just load it up on there. My wife says, well, if they would just, it, 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 they could save a whole lot of food and we could save a whole lot of money if they just cut the portions in half. And, and, and so it'd be less. I can't eat it all. But here Jesus, he takes five barley loaves and two small fish. And he feeds 5,000, many, many beyond that. And at the end of that meal, there remains 12 baskets full of leftovers. Sounds like Easter turkey, uh, Christmas turkey, doesn't it? In Luke chapter number 5, Jesus sets a meal with the publicans. He sets a, a meal together with the publicans and they criticize him. They criticize because he's there with the publicans. And it was at a meal that, uh, that Mary set the feet of Jesus. And while Martha, you remember the story, while Mary there and she was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha was in the kitchen and doing all the cooking. Uh, some of you ladies could identify with that. Doing all the cooking while they're in there doing something else. And Martha becomes so bothered about this that she literally complains to Jesus about it. And Jesus says to her, she's 
doing the better part. She's doing what she can do. It's better that she be out here. And there's another occasion we consider the meals where a certain Pharisee sought Jesus that he might have a meal with them. And the Pharisee saw as they were coming in, it was customary for them to, to ceremonially wash their hands but before the dinner. But Jesus did not do this. And so they, they just look at him and they you know, almost you can imagine the stare of, well, you're not going to wash your hands. And, and Jesus, of course, knows what's going on. He says to them, you make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Jesus was having a meal with them, but he saw their hearts and he saw what was going on. Another meal that Jesus has with the, the chief Pharisees, the lawyers of that day, was on a Sabbath day. It was a Sabbath day. Of course, the... The thought was that you do nothing on the Sabbath day, that anything that you do at all would be a matter of sin. But Jesus seems, sees a lame man, and, and Jesus heals that man. And these lawyers, these religious crowd, they look at Jesus. They're stunned because Jesus would have the audacity to heal somebody on the Sabbath day. So they, they criticize, they complain. Another meal was a time when you'll know the story of a wee little fella, and the wee little fella was he, old Zacchaeus. He climbed up in that sycamore tree to see what he could see, see the Lord. And the Lord saw him. He said, Zacchaeus, you come down from, I'm going to your house today. And they had a meal there in his home, and there Zacchaeus, he confesses his sin, he repents, and he says, I want to give back to those who I've stolen from. It's a wonderful story. There are many meals, post-resurrection meals that we could mention this morning. We won't take time to do all that. Many meals that Jesus participated in with his disciples and with others. But of all the meals that we find in the scriptures, we find in the gospels, I think one of the most significant meals that we see is the meal that we're considering this morning. The Passover meal. The Passover meal. It was a Passover uh, this would go back to the Old Testament scriptures, Exodus chapter 12. If you would, I invite you to turn there with me so that we get the reference and the context of the Passover meal, Exodus chapter 12, and we'll begin reading verses 6 down through verse 14. Jesus and his disciples were getting ready to partake of the Passover meal. Well, let's go back and see what this is all about. Exodus chapter 12, verses 6 through 14. And ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole uh, assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it. This is the lamb, shall kill it in the evening. And he shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts, on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head and his legs, and with his pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire." 
And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and of beast, and against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses wherein ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by ordinance forever." Now we take that passage of scripture and we fast forward many, many years. We fast forward to our text in Mark chapter 14. And the meal that Jesus and his disciples are about to celebrate and partake of is this memorial, this Passover meal that we just read about. This Passover meal was a memorial, a Something that reminded them, it was of that of the exes of a nation, the nation of Israel out of the bondage while they were in Egypt. And the celebration was the reason, this Passover celebration, this memorial was the reason for all the crowds and all the people that were in Jerusalem there, there, here during this time period. It's why Jesus has come to Jerusalem. And the commemoration of this particular Passover meal was literally about to begin. But this particular meal, and there in that upper chamber that evening, would be more than a commemoration. It would be more than just remembering what took place. It would be a completion. It would go beyond a commemoration. It would be a completion of an old system. And it would begin the inception of a new and living way. A new system. A new covenant, if you will. Jesus would forever link every Old Testament picture, every Old Testament symbol, every Old Testament type to the events that he was about to face there on the cross. And by the way, that cross was literally just hours from the text this morning. Disciples knew full well as they sat there at that meal that morning. They knew full well the the significance and the importance of that Passover meal. As a Jew, they would have participated in this. As a young man, they would have participated in this meal every year since their upbringing, since they were young. They would have understood the importance and significance of every element in that, that room, in that upper chamber that evening. But that evening, Jesus, as I said, would link all of that significance to himself, to himself. The disciples... As they said at that meal and they partook of that Passover meal, they would have understood, they would have known about the eating of the bitter herbs. These things, these bitter herbs symbolize the the harshness and the bitterness of the bondage of the nation of Israel as they were there in bondage in Egypt. This would have been very bitter and have been very hard. And so these eating and partaking of those bitter herbs, they would have understood this very well and understood the significance and the symbolism in it. They understood the unleavened bread 
The eating of the unleavened bread. This was the, the coming out, if you will. The last meal there in Egypt. No leaven. In other words, there was no need for the leaven. There was no need for that because God had made a provision. And God would be that provision. So they would have understood the significance of that unleavened bread. They understood the significance of the slaying of the lamb. The killing of the lamb. And every man would take a lamb for his house and he would slay that lamb. And he would take that blood of that lamb that was slain for his house and for his family. And he would mark the doorpost. He would mark the lintel of each and every house. So when that death angel came through, he would see that blood applied and he would pass over them. They understood all the significance here. They understood uh, that the juice and, and the meal, uh, that, that it pictured the blood. The juice that they partook of, that wine there, it pictured the blood that was applied to those doorposts. They understood that to be the symbolic meaning. So that when, that, again, that death angel came by, it passed over them because the blood was applied. They would have understood all these things as they sat down that evening with Jesus. But they would soon learn and they would soon see how all these were merely symbols. All these were merely pictures and all types of what Jesus would ultimately fulfill upon the cross. All of these things would be fulfilled in Jesus Luke 22 and 15, Jesus says to them with regards to this meal, He says, I desire to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Jesus knew full well what was about to take place. And as He gathers His disciples into that upper chamber that evening, He begins to talk to them and He begins to share with them as they partake of the Lord's table the significance of it all. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 6, it said, Israel shall kill it in the evening. And in Mark chapter 14 and 17 that we read just a few moments ago, it was in the evening that they came with, Jesus came with His disciples to this upper room. I want us to understand some things this morning. First of all, notice with me that the scriptures foretold this event. This meal that they were to partake of. It was to be a memorial of the bringing out of bondage of the nation of Israel. But understand the scriptures foretold this event. If we look in verse number 21. The son of man indeed goeth as it is written of him. He goeth as it is written of him. Not only does the Passover meal picture Christ and all that he was doing and all that he was about doing, but the scriptures tell of Christ. We find the scriptures telling of Christ in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and all these pictures and types. These were foretold in the Old Testament. I wish we had time this morning. We do not, but I want to read you a couple passages from the Old Testament, particularly Psalm. A messianic psalm this morning, Psalm 22, begin reading in verse number 14. Jesus says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I tell 
excuse me, I may tell all my bones. They look and they stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Here we find the Old Testament scriptures completely foretold all that Jesus was going to do. We go to Isaiah chapter number 53. Wonderful passage of scripture. Isaiah chapter number 53. Look with me at verses 4 through 7, if you will, please. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 7. Surely he hath borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him uh, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. I encourage you to go back and read these passages in their entirety. Because they tell of Christ. They tell of this particular event. It's about to take place. 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth there, he was talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures, just as it had been told. Jesus fulfilled all of this. The scriptures foretold this particular event that we're reading out of Mark's gospel this morning. Not only did the scriptures foretell the event, but sin demanded the event. Sin demanded the event. Here in our passage in Mark's gospel and the other accounts of the gospels, we find some of the story of Judas. Judas. Verse 18 of chapter 14 of Mark. And as they did said and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. We know Judas very well. We've mentioned him as we've been working our way through these passages in recent weeks. We find Satan, the Bible tells us that Satan entered into Judas. This is from Mark's account in Mark 22. We find that... Judas was very wicked. Judas betrays Jesus. But this morning, I don't want us to focus our attention upon Judas. All of us would say Judas did some wicked acts and did some wicked things, betraying our Lord. But I don't want us to focus our attention on someone else. I want us to focus our attention upon us. I want us to focus our attention not on what they did, But may we focus our attention this morning upon what we have done. The sin, our sin, not the sin of someone else, but our sin. We need to understand that it was my sin. We need to understand that it was your sin that placed Jesus upon that cruel, rugged cross. It was your sin. It was my sin that he went there and he died. Sin demanded the event. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me 
from this body of death, Paul says he was he understood his own sin, and, and I, I think one of the one of the main beginning points, and I believe it's a must, the main beginning point for anyone to come to saving faith is the realization that we are sinners, that you're a sinner. That I'm a sinner. We're born into sin. We have that sinful nature. Not only are we sinners by birth, but we're sinners by choice. We choose to sin. That allurement, that drawing. And so many times I think the devil gets the bad rap. And the devil is the one that made me do it. It's my sin flesh, sinful flesh that made me do it. You see, it was my sin that put Jesus upon the cross. It was my sin that keeps me out of heaven. It is my sin that causes God not to be able to look upon me as a sinner. But praise God for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on that cross, he took our sins, he paid that penalty, he paid the debt For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ paid that sin debt for you. And he paid that sin debt for me. And when we accept that salvation. That free gift of salvation. He takes our sin and he cleanses it away. He takes our sin and he washes it away. As far as the east is from the west. And he replaces it with his righteousness. So no longer does God see me in my sinful nature. My sinful way. But God sees me with Christ. He sees me seated with Christ. He sees the righteousness of Christ put onto my account. That's what he does for us. Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain so that lost souls in bondage to sin and in bondage to wickedness might be forever saved and set free from that bondage. And by the way, if you are born again in Christ, you are free indeed. We don't have to go on living the way we used to live. We don't have to go back to the way it used to be. We don't have to be under the guilt. We don't have to be under the sorrow. Because Christ has given us new life. New life. I like that terminology in the scriptures. New birth. New life. That means all things have passed away. And behold all things have become new. There's a new ability. There's a new person in you. The Holy Spirit. A new ability to live and to obey the Bible. Sin demanded it. But because sin demanded that sacrifice, understand that it was love that brought it forth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved the world. That seems like a big thing, doesn't it? But understand, who who are we? And we are the people that make up the world. So you could put your name, God so loved, for God so loved Charles. Ronald Gilbert. For God so loved Angie Gilbert. For God so loved David Bragg. For God so loved Bob Green. For God so loved Hazel Mitchell. You put your name in that place. God so loved you. That he gave his only begotten son. So that you might have that life in Christ. That new and abundant life. Sin demanded it. It was brought forth through love. Now we see the scriptures that foretold this event. The sin that demanded the event. But Satan worked to accomplish the event. 
Satan worked to accomplish the event. I mentioned in Luke 22, it said that Satan had entered into Judas. The devil and all of his his lying and all of his deceit had been working up to this point. Understand that Judas had already made a pact with him to sell out the Lord. And all understand that, that the, the, the lawyers and the Pharisees, they already had made a plan to put him to death. But they couldn't put him to death now. And they were trying to bring forth these things. And it was the devil that was behind all of these things so that Jesus might be destroyed. The devil thought that he was literally destroying Jesus at the cross. If we can kill him, it'll all be done and I'll be the victor, he said. But in fact, Jesus at the cross was destroying Satan. Jesus at the cross was destroying Satan. One thing that the old devil didn't bargain for was up from the grave he arose. With a mighty triumph over his foes. And he lives today. He didn't expect that. He wasn't anticipating that. If he's in the grave, he's in the grave and he'll be forgotten. In a few days, he'll be no more. But not Jesus. He's alive forevermore. Satan had worked to accomplish it. 1 John 1 and 18, the Son of Man was manifested that he might destroy the, the works of the devil. He was manifested. He came forth. That was his reasoning. That was his purpose. Not only to forgive us and to pay our sin debt, but destroy the works of the devil. I want you to understand this morning that Satan is a defeated foe. Could you say that with me? Satan is a defeated foe. You know, it'd be good to remind ourselves this regularly. When he gets on our back, when he gets in our, in our face, when he brings situations and circumstances and times get hard and it seems like Satan is dogging us, I want us to understand that he is a defeated foe. We ought to take our Bibles and we ought to shake it into his face and remind him that what Jesus did upon the cross. And he has no power over the life of the Christian. If you're born again, he has no power but the power that you give him. He has no power but what you give him, what you yield to him. Listen, he has no authority in your life. Do not yield an inch. Do not yield anything in your life to that of the devil. You don't have to. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You have a greater authority. If God be for us, pray tell who can be against us. Nobody. Because God is on our side. Satan worked to accomplish this event. But I'm thankful that he was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Fourthly, as we consider this Passover meal, the Son of Man fulfilled it all. The Son of Man, many times in the Scriptures we find Jesus referred to as the Son of Man. The Son of Man fulfilled it all. Isaiah 53, we noted some passages there just a bit, a bit ago. And I, again, I encourage you to go back and read these passages again, the chapters. In Isaiah 53, he, being God the Father, saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. God the Father saw the travail of his soul, that of his son. He saw all that he was going through. He saw all that he went through. He saw the death. He saw the crucifixion, the dying. He was satisfied. Listen, if God's satisfied with what Jesus Christ has done, then why can't we be satisfied? Again, Satan has no hold. 
Be satisfied with what Christ has done. If you're born again, that is enough. Be satisfied. We don't have to go back and come up under that old drudgery and and allow the devil to drudge up all those old things. Be satisfied. Christ, with what Christ has done, God is satisfied. Why shouldn't we be? Jesus paid it all. To him I owe sin hath left a crimson stain, but he's washed it white as snow. Isaiah 1 and 18. Come now let us reason together, saith the Lord. I like that. God in his sovereignty and God is big and is grand and is marvelous and as powerful as he is. You know, sometimes with our children, don't we just say, well, but why, mommy? Because I said so. Well, sometimes that may be a needful thing. But when it comes to God here, he comes to us and he says, Come, come here, let's reason together. Let's be reasonable about this whole matter. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Come and think it through with me. Reason, see the scriptures, understand the word of God, understand what God has done for you. Hebrews 10 and 17, their sin and iniquities will I remember no more. Praise God that he doesn't remember. There's no double jeopardy with God. He doesn't punish us for this sin here, forgive us of this. Whatever, if we get it under the blood, he forgives us or he deals with us on a particular issue. He didn't come back sometime down the road and he says, you know what? I didn't do it quite the way I thought I ought to do it. We need to go back and redo it again. God didn't do that. There's no double jeopardy with God. The Son of Man fulfilled it all. Mark 14 Look at your passages with me. Mark 14, verses 22 through 26. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup when he had given thanks and he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will not... I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I shall drink it new in the kingdom of God. Here he points to, and he's taking this Passover meal, and he's applying it to himself. He mentions out of verse number 24, he mentions the phrase, and he uses this term, New Testament. New Testament. He he leads up to that. He says, this is my blood of the New Testament. My blood of the New Testament. Mark chapter number 26, he mentions the New Testament. Mark 22, he mentions the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 11 and 25, he again mentions the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, he has made us, Paul says, he's made us ministers of the New Testament. Do you know what we're talking about this morning? We're talking about the New Testament. He says he's made us ministers, able ministers. Hebrews 9 and 15. He is the mediator of the New Testament. The idea of a mediator there, if you look it up in your Webster's Dictionary, it's the one that goes between. He's our go-between. He's our reconciler. He's our restorer. He's the one that ratifies. He's the mediator of the New Testament. The war that we see going on all around us and 
see over in Europe these days, and we continue to pray and ask for God's mercy and grace. They're in a very difficult time. But you have two literally warring factions, one against another. They're discussing peace, hopefully to end the hostilities, and I hope that that will take place. They, as they meet together, I can imagine that there's gives and takes and somebody's having to compromise here and somebody's having to compromise here and they're hoping they can come to some compromise to bring forth peace. I want us to understand this morning that we as men, we as humans, flesh and blood, we have no standing with God for making peace. We have no standing within ourselves for making peace for ourselves. Man, all of us and all... All of us together, we're guilty. We're guilty. What are we guilty for? We've broken God's law. Therefore, we have no standing. We have no place. We have no place at the table to come to God and somehow say to God, God, let me sit down and let me reason with you about this whole matter. We have no standing. We're lawbreakers. But Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus, he is the sinless God-man. And he can make peace because he's God. He's the authority. He's the one that exacts the terms. He's the one that lays forth the terms. As God, he has the authority to make peace. And as a sinless man, he has the ability to make peace. The authority is God. As man, the ability. Why? Because he was sinless. Spotless. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is Jesus. Matthew 26 and 18. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. And listen to what Matthew adds here. For the remission of sin. My blood was shed for many. In other words, for all who will trust. For all who will believe. For all who will come. But it's, it's sufficient For all men, not just a few. Some would say some can't be saved. God didn't die to save a few. And it's only a few elect. No, it's for all men. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The sin, Jesus died on this cross for our sin, for the remission of sin. Who are the many? All who will accept. What do they receive? The remission of sin. The forgiveness of sin. The Son of Man fulfilled it all. And I want us to see... Fifthly, as we close this morning, the Son of Man gave it all. He gave it all. He says out of verse number 22, this is my body. Out of verse number 24, this is my blood. Now, I don't want us to be confused this morning. and I want us to get straight and understand it. The Roman Catholics have perverted this particular, when Jesus, this Lord's table, they've perverted it and they've called it transubstantiation. They, they literally teach that, that the bread actually becomes the body of Christ and the juice of the wine actually becomes the blood of Christ. This is not Bible. This is not true. This is not what the Bible teaches. It's not transubstantiation. Just like the elements of the old Passover meal were symbolic of their freedom from bondage. This bread and this juice are symbolic of the the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. God had made many covenants in the Old Testament. 
He made him with Noah. He made him with Abraham. He made him with Moses. And each one of these covenants were ratified with a sacrifice of an animal upon an altar. And they were ongoing sacrifices. And that's why they were in Jerusalem for this particular occasion. They would be ongoing sacrifices. Throughout the all entire Old Testament period, these sacrifices, the Old Testament, they only covered man's sin. But this night, this particular night, Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, would sacrifice Himself. His death would constitute the complete payment. Completed once and for all. The complete payment for sin, the sin of the world, sin forgiven, sin remembered no more. This is the new and living way. The new and living way which he hath consecrated. The mediator he hath consecrated for us. Scriptures foretold it. Sin demanded it. Satan worked to accomplish it. The Son of Man fulfilled it. He gave it all. He gave it all. His body that was broken, he gave to them. Understand, we see in verses 22 and 23, please get this. Uh, Little words have great meaning. He says, he gave them. He gave to them. He gave his body. He gave his blood. Jesus here, in his giving, he offered them the gospel. He's offering us the gospel, the way of truth and life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That makes him exclusive. No one else can go to heaven if you're you're not going to go, if you're going to try to go another way. You'll have to go God's way. It makes him exclusive. I give to you. Now, I want us to understand this morning that when Jesus died on the cross, he gave to you. He gave to me. His body and his life, his life's blood. And he gave to them. He's offering this to them. And he says in verse number 22, take. Take. As Jesus is giving. He says, take. Now, an offering is a gift and Jesus is offering a gift he says here take it it's being made it's being offered to them but I want us to understand that a receiving must happen Jesus can all day long he can say this is my body this is my blood it's broken for you it's shed for you here take but until it's received he says take it There must be a receiving. There must be something that transpires. We must be that taking that Jesus is offering. Until you take that which is offered to you by Christ, it will have no effect upon your life. He's not saying take religion. He's not saying take church membership. He's not saying uh, become a tither. Although all those things are important for the Christian. He's not saying do these things in order to be saved. He's not saying do a bunch of good works. Try to outweigh the bad with more good. He's not saying all any of this. He's saying this is my body and this is my, my blood which was shed. Here, take. And they had to reach out and receive. It has no effect until you receive. Verse 23, it tells us with regards to the wine that they drank. They all drank of it. They all drank of it. That tells me that they received it. They received it. They received the gift. 
I believe they all received it except Judas. I do not believe that Judas was here at this particular occasion. I believe by this time that Judas had already been sent out to fulfill the work of the devil. He had already been sent out from them. Judas did not partake. I did not believe he was here. He had already gone out from them. The Bible says they all drank of it. The Old Testament Passover, this Passover meal now becomes the Lord's table. One, the Old Testament symbolized the rescue of a nation from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. But this one, this one symbolizes the rescue of the world out of the bondage of sin. Symbolizes the rescue of the individual out of the bondage of sin. Uh, Me out of the bondage of sin. You out of the bondage of sin. It's a picture of what Christ has done for us. And tonight when we partake of the Lord's table, we'll come to it with a new realization and a new understanding and the significance of it all. Verse number 24. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. This morning, Jesus offers that salvation. He offers that salvation. He offered it there and they were received. That trust, belief in Jesus Christ transferred that that old... Testament, that old way, that old system to a new and living way found only in Jesus Christ. This morning, Jesus is offering himself to you. He says, here, take. Receive this water of life. I am the bread of life. Receive me, he says. Will you take it this morning? Will you receive it? Will you respond to his invitation and be saved? If you're not here, Saved this morning. You don't know for sure if you died that heaven's your home. I encourage you to trust him. Be born again. Let somebody take a Bible and go out into a quiet place with you for just a few moments. Just take the Bible and help you understand and see exactly. So that you may walk out of here free from sin. Free from the penalty and the bondage that sin holds upon a life. If you're here this morning as a Christian, you know that you're saved. I want us to understand what Christ has done for us. It's an old, old story, but it never gets old. It never gets old. If you're here this morning and somehow you've just said, you know what? It just doesn't hold the significance in my life that it maybe once did. I want to encourage you this morning. Run to the cross. See afresh what Christ has done for you, for me. See it afresh. Oh, may we bow upon our knees, upon our faces, and thank the Lord. Because our sin demanded it. And He fulfilled it. You couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it. But He did it for us. That's Jesus Christ. Do you know Him today? Are you saved? Are you a Christian? You know you're saved? Are you living for Him? Are you living the Christian life? Are you living the way that Christ would be honored He'd be glorified in your life. Not just on Sunday morning. Not we put on our Sunday best and show up to church. This is just the facade. This is the outside. I can look sometimes, sometimes pretty good on the outside. But on the inside be as wicked as I can be. Let's not be that way. Let's live for the Lord. Let's bow our hearts in prayer.